From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, welcome to Religion for Life. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is www.fpcelizabethton.org. You can find more information, including links to podcasts of Religion for Life at religionforlife.com. I've been doing a series of programs on the future of religion or the future of faith, and I've been speaking with a number of influential thinkers. Christianity and religion is changing. The world is changing. And today I'm speaking with Professor Lloyd Gearing, who is at the age of 95 writing books about religion and about our future as earthlings. And he's with me via Skype from halfway around the world in New Zealand to talk about where faith has been, where we are now, and where we're going. Uh, Professor Gearing is a New Zealand icon, having recently received New Zealand's highest award, the Order of New Zealand. Retired from a distinguished academic career in religious studies in 1984, he has continued to lecture widely throughout the world and been a regular media columnist and commentator on religious topics. In 1966, he published an article on the resurrection of Jesus, and in 1967, another on the immortality of the soul, which together sparked a two-year public theological controversy that culminated in charges uh, by the Presbyterian Church of New Zealand, of which he is an ordained minister, of uh, doctrinal error and disturbing the peace of the church. After a dramatic two-day televised trial, the assembly judged that no doctrinal error had been proved, dismissed the charges, and declared the case closed. He's written a number of books. I have seven of them in my library, and I'll just give you the titles of those. Uh, Christian Faith at the Crossroads, A Map of Modern Religious History. That was originally published as Faith's New Age in 1980. The World to Come, From Christian Past to Global Future. Tomorrow's God, How We Create Our Worlds. Those three form kind of a trilogy. He also wrote uh, Christianity Without God, uh, Wrestling with God, The Story of My Life, His Autobiography, Coming Back to Earth, From Gods to God to Gaia in 2009, and in 2010, Such is Life, A Close Encounter with Ecclesiastes. Forthcoming in 2013 is From the Big Bang to God, Our Awe-Inspiring Journey of Evolution. He's also the subject of a 2008 documentary, The Last Western Heretic. He's with me via Skype from his home in Wellington, New Zealand. Welcome, Professor Gearing, to Religion for Life. Thank you very much, John. Now, I've been trying to think of the best way to introduce you and your ideas to my radio audience. Uh, You have been very influential and inspirational to me. Uh, Maybe we can talk a little bit how your thought has uh, progressed, and and perhaps starting with the heresy trial way back in the 1960s. That that must have been an unnerving experience. Yes, it it was, though um, more because of the way in which it became so personalized. And uh, whereas I rather enjoy a good theological debate, and if it had stayed at that level, it would have been fine. But um, for some reason or other, um, these these debates touch people at such a delicate point in their lives that they they tend to... to uh, allow it to be overcome by emotions, and then then it, then it becomes very personal indeed. But in many ways, um, it's not surprising that this happened simply because 
over the years, the uh, more conservative uh, section of the of the church uh, had been growing, and it reached the point where they were able to challenge the more liberal thinkers in the church. Whereas, you see, when I was a young student, um, the, our theological teachers were all pretty liberal. I, I was trained in the age of Protestant liberalism. Uh, fundamentalism uh, was, was laughed out of court uh, in the 30s and 40s when I was being trained. But it gradually returned, and that is why it reached the point where uh, they could challenge uh, the things I said. The, the two articles, one was actually a sermon that you referred to, um, look pretty harmless today. Indeed, what I said about the resurrection is, is widely believed uh, today by scholars and indeed by many in the church. But at that stage, it, it came... Uh, somehow as a shock to realize, say, that the, the story of the empty tomb is really a legend trying to explain visually the, 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 what the resurrection of Jesus meant. And it was using, uh, using a, a visual image to express that, whereas the, the resurrection of Jesus was, a, was much more of a of a spiritual experience by uh, by the apostles. Now that that's that sort of approach is widely held today, but it wasn't then. And and so far as the immortality of the soul, I was I was quite biblical because uh, the, uh, the the Bible insists that only God is immortal, and we and we are mortal creatures. And indeed, the idea that um, our, we have an immortal soul that lives on as really can be traced back to Plato, and it didn't come into the into the um, thinking of the Christian church until well into the second century. So uh, there you see, uh, these, are, these were things which uh, were not fully appreciated by more conservative people, and they were upset by them. Uh, I, I hoped at, at the trial and after it that... Um, that things would move steadily forward, and they, they, they did seem to be for the next two or three years. But um, about 1970, about three years later, um, I was challenged again because of things I had said in a in a television broadcast in a visit to Australia, and and at this time, um, the Conservatives were strong enough to uh, get a motion through the General Assembly, uh, dissociating itself. From my views, um, and uh, so that was a sort of a climax. Actually, I was appointed to a, my present, my later position three weeks after that happened. Now, were you active as a minister in a church uh, during that time? I was a Presbyterian minister, but I was a theological teacher, and uh, I'm still a Presbyterian minister. In fact, only uh, last week I celebrated the. 70th anniversary of my ordination. Uh, so I'm still a Presbyterian minister in good standing in the church. Um, but I had been a, when the trial took place, I had been a theological teacher for some, uh, or oh, uh, 10 years or so, first in Australia and then in New Zealand. 
70 years, your anniversary of your ordination. Wow, congratulations, Dr. Geary. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I, have, I happened yeah, to be uh, ordained quite by accident uh, on my 25th birthday. So that's how, how, that's how these celebrations came together again. You know, the article I found about you on Wikipedia uh, is not, I have to say, it's not particularly friendly. Uh, uh, it says you uh, embraced Christianity, but it has scare quotes around the word embraced. So you still must have your opposition there. Uh, now, I happen to think that you are one of the few who take Christianity seriously enough uh, to challenge it, uh, to be a better version of itself. But but let me ask you, how would you describe your relationship uh, to Christianity and, and perhaps even to the church? Well, I can perhaps <clears throat> describe it best this way, that uh, apart from a few years being sent to Sunday school as a, as a boy, I had no connection with the church at all until the second year in my university days. And uh, I think what attracted me, well, mainly I was uh, invited into the student Christian movement and at the same time into the church. And what attracted me was that in my, uh, see, adolescent period, when you are growing and thinking and trying to make sense of it all, I found that my association with other thinking Christian people at the time helped me to make sense of life. And indeed, uh, uh, that has been my relationship to the Christian faith ever since. I, I feel I owe a great deal, both to the church and to the way in which the Christian faith has supplied me with the values and the images with which I can make sense of life and, and respond to it uh, in a worthwhile way. Um, and so uh, I have never felt I wanted to uh, resign from the ministry or, or to leave the church. And um, I, I still belong to a congregation that meets um, not very far away from where I live here. It's a, but it's, I must say it's a, it, it would describe itself as a prog one of the progressive churches of which there are all too few in New Zealand. You know, your, your trial... Um on uh, the resurrection uh, back in 1966, 45 years ago. And, and you were very gracious, I think, to say that the church has moved along. But I have to say that, uh, I don't know, I, I, I sometimes think that the church has still almost gone backwards uh, in many cases since the 1960s um, with, with the rise of, of, of fundamentalism and of literalism. And um, I was wondering, what, why do you think the, the and, and acceptance of science, why do you think the church is so resistant uh, to change into modern science? Well, the church didn't used to be like that. Yeah. And, and in theology wasn't, as you are probably just as well aware as I am, that between, say, about 1880 and, and 1940, um, theology was moving very rapidly. It, 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 had, it had no problem with the, uh, well, the, I think the leading thinkers had no problem whatsoever with the concept of, of the of uh, evolution, as Darwin had uh, explained it by natural processes, uh, uh, and um, from about the Second World War onwards, things began to change. And I think why the churches have become more conservative is that the the liberal wing of the church 
um, no longer sees the role of the church as it used to uh, be and have been sliding out of the church, leaving the center of gravity of the church always going further and further to the right. Now, the Presbyterian Church of New Zealand today is much more conservative than it was even 40 years ago and a great deal more conservative than it was, say, 80 years ago. Uh, and uh, the, the, uh, that's why I said the congregation that I go to is, is a very radical one, one of some, some four or five only in, in New Zealand. And, and most of the uh, churches are either traditional or quite conservative. Now, you have written a number of books uh, detailing kind of how the history of, of the church has moved in, in, in terms of big issues like uh, the findings of Galileo and, and Darwin. Uh, who are some of the major uh, influences on your thought in terms of, of looking at Christianity uh, in a new era? Uh, yes, people you're thinking of from the 20th century who have influenced me? Yes. The, Yes. Uh, well, I think, uh, first of all, I became an Old Testament teacher. Now, Old Testament had its real problems in the 19th century. And, and by, the, by 1900, they had come to terms with the new way of understanding the Old Testament. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we, we knew that... Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible, for example. And we knew that the, the Old Testament contains a, 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 just as much uh, legend and, and myth as it does history, as I still think the Old Testament is a marvelous collection of books. Now, we took a bit longer to get used to the idea of there being myth in the New Testament. So one of the persons who influenced me was, was Rudolf Bultmann. Uh, but that wasn't until I was a theological teacher, uh, having the responsibility to think at a greater depth than one does perhaps even as a parish minister. And that's when I became um, uh, interested in, um, in, in, the, in the new and more radical way of understanding the, old, the, the New Testament. So that I began to see uh, the Christian tradition as an ever-changing and evolving cultural tradition. Now, one of the men who helped me to do this was one of my own teachers. He was a, he was a, a German refugee, uh, which the Presbyterian Church of New Zealand uh, um, took, out, took as a refugee back in 1938-39. They were intending to just put him into a parish. But by the time he got here, and, and had a little time uh, getting used to New Zealand society, the war had broken out. It was impossible to put him into a parish, a German, and so they appointed him as a teacher. Now, he was a very good teacher, and um, he, he brought a much more mm, Germanic way of understanding um, culture, and, and the way it changes. He was appointed eventually as the uh, professor of church history. And so I learned a lot from him and uh, have been able to see that one shouldn't think of the Christian tradition as a set of unchangeable truths. It's, it's actually a, a growing uh, path of faith 
in which one's beliefs change from century to century depending upon the kind of cultural context in which you live. And, and uh, another person who helped me in this respect was Wilfred Cantwell Smith. You'll probably know his name pretty well. Mm -hmm. He was the Canadian who taught, uh, he established an institute of uh, world religions at Harvard. And um, I think his books on belief and belief in history and the, the meaning and end of religion um, helped me, particularly when I came to my last teaching post as uh, chair of religious studies, it helped me to understand um, the nature of religion itself and the way in which it is changing quite rapidly. Uh, see, I, I, um, I define religion um, very broadly, not, not in supernatural terms at all. Religion has to do with, with, the, with the, your highest values and, and the way in which you make sense of life. I think everybody um, has the potential to be religious. Some are more religious than others. But um, it's, it's not a case of holding on to a, a set of permanent or un, infallible beliefs. It, it's, a, it's a path of faith by which you go forward into the future in trust, trusting other people, for example, trusting yourself, trusting the world. Indeed, Tayyata Shardang, for whom I have a great respect, and the, you'll, you'll know Teo de Shardang, the mm -hmm. scientist priest, um, he once said, and this is remarkable from a Roman Catholic priest, he said, if by some method he, he, he couldn't understand, he lost his faith in Christ and he lost his faith in God, he would still have faith in the world. And that's a remarkable statement. And in the end, the world or the universe or the cosmos or nature, that's what we ultimately depend upon for life. And uh, we have different ways of understanding it, of course, but, um, and those ways have changed tremendously from the ancient world to this world. I hope that makes sense to you, John. It does. If you're just joining us, um, uh, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck, and my guest is Professor Lloyd Gearing, talking with me via Skype uh, from his study in Wellington, New Zealand. He is the author of a number of books on the future of faith, and that's really the uh, the uh, focus of my program here is looking at the future of faith or the future of religion. And, and you mentioned something that's rather intriguing. I think people believe that religion must be associated with the supernatural or else it isn't religion or uh, and you wrote a, a book with a compelling title called Christianity uh, without God uh, what were you th um, what were you doing with that book well in that book um, I, I I explain at the end of course by God by the God that Christianity doesn't need is the God of theism, the God, the, the God interpreted as a supernatural personal being. I think the word God uh, has many other good meanings apart from that one. And so uh, I think the idea that God is a personal creator who was there before the beginning of time, who created the world, who watches over it, who performs miracles from time to time, that concept of God has become an idol and you must never worship an idol, so that has to go. Or, or as Robin, you know, 
Robinson of Honest to God fame once <laughs> said, um, our image of God must go. That's what I meant by uh, Christianity without that God, because Christianity is a path of faith, and it's a path of faith which um, uh, commends um, certain values and aspirations for humans, helping them to find meaning in life, to live a well, to live a worthwhile life, and to live in harmony and peacefulness and joy with what with one another. So that's how I see Christianity. And one of your um, people that you write often about in your books is Carl Jung and, uh, and his understanding of God. What, how did he influence you, and, and what did he, how did he understand the symbol of God? Oh, I didn't catch the name. Oh, Carl Jung, uh, the psychologist. Oh, Carl Jung. Oh, yes. I have, uh, I, have, uh, I have learned a lot from Carl Jung. I have um, learned uh, how to understand myself. And, and the way in which the human psyche is programmed to do certain things. And so, uh, it, of course, it, it, uh, here in our discussion, I can't really go into a lecture on Carl Jung. But I, I, I would want to say that um, I, uh, I, have, um, I have used Carl Jung's thought a great deal uh, in lectures, as I have in my own thinking, uh, simply to to understand um, to un- to understand the human condition and the and the, the, the and the human psyche, uh, and it I it I found it throws a great deal of light on on religion and on the Christian tradition. Um, take for example um, that famous. Uh, Damascus Road episode in the life of Paul, without which I, I would assert there wouldn't be any Christianity. I mean, he, he really shaped Christianity, and he shaped it on the basis of his experience. Now, what happened then? I don't myself think that um, there was a, uh, some, a supernatural kind of uh, event at all. Rather, the event was in the mind of Paul, who, uh, who whose psyche um, was dealing with a great conflict, and that is the conflict of being a Jewish persecutor of the Christians and the impact which um, the uh, continuing influence of Jesus on his disciples had made on Paul. He was, he's a, he was in real conflict, and his psyche was doing its best to help him resolve it. And the, of course, we, we, we all know this only from the experience and the way he tells it, or it is told by others. So when you, and, and I was thinking with, with Carl Jung and, and talking about God, I remember there's that famous uh, line of Carl Jung's, uh, I, I'm probably am botching it, but he said something that he didn't believe in God, but he knew about God. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, well, and what he meant by that was that the idea of, of God is, as it were, already programmed in the human psyche. And it's programmed because the human psyche is 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 always seeking um, to 
seeking to unify its own inner experience and at the same time unify its understanding of the, of the outside world. So there is a correlation between the concept of the God out there and the concept of the self. That is, the self is not the ego. The, the, the self is the whole psyche. The ego, the, our conscious self, is only part of our uh, psychological makeup. The unconscious is much more dominant in many ways, and it's and the and it's in the unconscious that um, many of our uh, problems and enigmas are being resolved. So uh, uh, he uh, his empirical evidence from his studies was that the concept of God or the, or the, what you was perhaps say, the, um, the uh, um, prototype for the, for the idea of God is, a, is already in the psyche waiting, as it were, to emerge. Professor Lloyd Gearing, uh, author of the upcoming From the Big Bang to God, Our Awe-Inspiring Journey of Evolution. Uh, Dr. Gearing, thank you for being with me on Religion for Life. Thank you, John. I've enjoyed it very much. This conversation with Professor Lloyd Gearing has just begun, and we are going to continue it next week on Religion for Life. Religion for Life is a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. You can find more information about Religion for Life at the website religionforlife.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.